1: Welcome to Jimmy's Jobs of the Future. For long-term listeners, you will know that I am passionate about creators and how these are making up a more important part of our economy than ever before. But it's not all just about YouTubes and TikToks. Of course, some creators are perhaps some of the most traditional people that you can imagine. Think of artists, for example. And that's what today's guest is about. Maureen set up an art talent agency just a few years ago, trying to bring together a way that artists can be paid properly for their work. Sales hit 8.3 million last year, and it's now one of the top 20 fastest growing companies in the United Kingdom. This is a fascinating episode looking into the future of artists and how creators can make proper income streams for themselves. On to today's show, Maureen, welcome to Jimmy's Jobs for the Future.
0: Well, thank you so much for having me on it. Where did the name
1: MT Art Agency come from?
0: Well, sadly, that's my biggest mistake to date, is that I didn't think we'll become a business. So <laughs> I cleverly named it after myself, which thinking I'll be a running-around consultant for many years. And now we've tried to shorten it and pretend this was a very clever plan to incorporate when it wasn't, is the answer. And I definitely have no more, I'm just a man. and I'm lucky to have a large team and that it has become a global business. So yeah, it's my biggest mistake to date. It's my on this podcast with your biggest mistake to date, right? So that is my biggest. <laughs> exactly.
1: Uh, and I know all about the mistakes of putting your name in the title of something, <laughs> <laughs> for sure. <laughs> um, exactly. And so tell us like, you know, the art world is not necessarily associated that much with the venture capital world and, and raising lots of money, but you have got some serious investors, including the like of Saul Klein and so on.
0: How did these come about? I think there's two answers to that. I feel it's, I was ex- I've i always been looking at the other sectors. You know, we, we're basically a business as borrowed from the other sectors to build ourselves. So to take a tiny step back, we're the first client agency in the art world. So what that means is we borrowed the model, very much a call agent of Netflix, that you have a music from and sport, and then incorporated that into the art world. But by definition, therefore, I spent my life borrowing stuff from other sectors. And as I was boring stuff, I also say that the other sectors were disrupted and raising funds and building scalable businesses when my sector was not talking about VC, not talking about scale, not talking about growth. But I thought that was interesting. So once again, I borrowed it and I thought, well, if everybody else outside can do it, why can't we do it? And that's how I decided to structure it as a fast growing business, which is what we've done so far.
1: And how many people are you employing and how many artists have you got on the books?
0: So we under 20 in the London HQ and then you have a couple in the local offices and then we have 48 talents total that we will be working with. And we plan to double that amount of people over the coming two years. So it's very much a fast growing side of things. I think it's, as you know, because we had a little chat just before coming here, but it's it, the hardest bit for me is I'm completely creating jobs. No one has done ever what they're about to do in my company. So they can come from the right exposure, the right industry. They can have bits of skill set that they can transfer, but they would never have done the exact same job. So I sadly can't just perch and hire right, left and center. I have to train people intensively in front to work in my company.
1: And so talk to us about the names of some of the jobs that you're creating, because you're right. The Guardian, for example, a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about how artists are often paid below the minimum wage, and you're trying to completely change that model and get more appreciation for the work that artists are doing. So talk to us about some of the job titles being created in
0: art. So back to the question on really why VCs and scannable businesses were important for me is that you're in a sector where 90% of the people come from inherited wealth, and ultimately the wealth will be passed on, and that's how you go and create your business. I didn't come from that background, but on the top of this, it means that the opportunities will be very limited and as long as the much growth you can provide. So that's the reason why being economically viable at first was really important, which again, required different types of people to apply that. So my public art director, traditionally in the art world, you will place a sculpture or even donate a sculpture on a square. A fabric art director is having to be creative, but also incredibly financially savvy to be leading her department. So it's a very different types of skill set. To give you an example, we're behind three large sculptures in Alabama that uh, will tackle the topic of slavery with our artist Raven D. Clark, British, uh, who is 27 years old, just landed of massive contracts so when you know that 97% of public sculptures are made by men that requires not only to create that opportunity to understand how to integrate that visual narrative, to place the right talent, and to make sure that financially it all makes sense and the communication is perfectly aligned. So you can see that this is completely brand new. Again, on the brand partnership departments, it will be the exact same. It will be not just a big fat logo on on the artwork. Instead, it's like This company cares about these values. How do you ultimately bring the two narratives together? How do you weave a thread that makes sense? How do you communicate about it? So they're all completely new. And I love that because you are taking it away, which is our phrase on invest in art, invest in artists from looking at artworks purely and objects onto visual narratives. But again, visual narrative as a phrase is kind of very poorly used and in fact, we're banging on about this for like years, but we hope more people relate to it. But visual narrative is really like, you get up in the morning and what you see on your streets, on your screens, everywhere, we would like artists to be part of the visual narrative more.
1: One of the big titles then, visual narrators almost, is almost how you're describing yes. modern day artists.
0: Yeah. Well, yes, because it's I always say that I cry on Nike adverts, but I do. I cry on most adverts, but specifically Nike adverts. And because I just look at all the other sectors and if you ask a kid on the street, like who Serena Williams is, he would know, like, or she would know. But artists are just not known. They're not relatable. They just, you know, loads of people will just not know who they are. Like it's building them as role models and, and therefore visual narratives for our world, like how can they tell us inspiring visual stories as well and and that I feel is more relatable than just from time to time once upon, once every few months you go into a museum that's integrating them as part of our everyday
1: and one of the great examples that you gave in one of your TEDx talks online was the fact that Kim Kardashian had seventy times as many followers as the l- l- the Louvre, and that really struck me as just how much the kind of world has changed when it comes to you know, what we consume visually. That's probably changed since that talk because it was four years old. But what's the? Yes.
0: yes, and we can't we can't all blame it on Kim anymore as well. So I feel like this just taking the hit for everybody at the time. I think this came out of realization. So I was very lucky. My first boss was Steve Lazard who discovered Banksy and JR. I was 21 here running his gallery, The Outsiders. And I was approached two years on from an investor to be sent to Los Angeles to open my own gallery. I'd never dreamed of LA. I, I never dream of fame. I never dreamed of that whole world. It just wasn't partially on my map as something that I would uh, desire or be attracted to. And then I saw this like talent agencies building machines of fame, so like, you know, Kim Kardashian, whatever she says has an impact. You know, when when her sit- sister criticized the fact that Instagram was not as relevant, like the shares' prices collapse, right? So there's, there's a real impact uh, of those audiences. And and that was definitely a French um, snob, intellectual snob, thinking it's all about the content. doesn't matter. You concentrate on the content. The audiences will come to you if the content is right. And then they just you know, threw you back in my face to say, well, actually, audiences matter. Like they, if you don't take them in consideration, this will be an enormous problem because, you know, if you're not listened um, by many people, you don't have that impact, you don't get to inspire people on a daily basis. And, and so I feel this, maybe you think about the art world and my sector as, yes, they are incredibly historically relevant, but in fact, they are listened by so few. Uh, and they impact very few. So how do we shift this in terms of content? And and that has been the most magical thing in terms of what we've built. Like Right now, we do all the public art of uh, Westminster, Crown Estate, and many users. So if you walk through the streets of London, if you pick up Regent Street, for instance, which has currently four of our public art projects. You have thousands of people walking there every single day.
1: And there's a great example on uh, one of your talks that really stuck with me, which is the idea of sort of redesigning bollards as kind of artist features, right? No one likes a bollard, no one looks at it. And it made me think of a school that I go past pretty much every day near where I live. And the bollards outside that school look like pencil tops. And it never fails to make me smile. Right? Like ev like whatever it is, like even though I've seen them hundreds of times now. And I just think it's one of those kind of like brilliant small things that actually can have quite a big impact on people's well-being that we sort of underestimate. And you've got all these amazing examples of um, different things on the, on the street. And it does feel like in a modern world where communication is so much easier, these things are easier to pull together now in terms of the chain of command that needs to happen. Because talk us through the, the process of, of what goes through when a brand approaches you, because you're talking massive topics here.
0: First of all, I love that you relate to the banards because it's you know, this is really something that's again, it's a child's net dream like situation for me because I I was a fixer when I was younger. So if I felt a bit sad, I will sit in front of the sea and I clearly had that sensitivity that I just had to shift my visual environment if I wasn't in a good place. And and I think to think that every day we could, we do this, it feels a bit like a Mary Poppins moment that you can transform an environment that feels crap for someone and then just slightly make it better. You obviously can't solve that life. You can't solve at large, but you can make that little instant, that present moment uh, better through visuals. And, and that's something that fills me with deep joy. And I know that this is the reason why the team gets up in the morning because it's, we get those texts, we get people to tell us that this is impactful. In terms of the process, I think it's, um, people are now being more and more familiar with working with artists and, and therefore the impact that the arts can do. Like there's better and better books, better and better studies that talks about it in terms of the impact, uh, visuals or artists could have on the visual campaigns you put out there, the digital campaigns you put out there, also the public art and the placemaking is still all the studies are still ongoing as we speak. Like it's been eight years, you know, when I started, I did my paper on specifically the value of arts within the the urban realm. And I think it's all just building up, but I feel we're still just at the, at the start of it. Like it, it was in the mind of most people, it will still be something very superficial that if the brand has a bit of money, they just add to it. If you have a bit of money, you just have an artwork on the wall, right? So we're going to have to like, Deep down breaks so many chords and so many psychological barriers that it's actually not superficial. And, and that's why the AKA paper was based on the way people value parks. Like you can actually value with the metric awareness to pay how people need a park in their environment. And that is the same, like the great visuals, whether it's a park, whether it's a public art uh a need, they're an everyday need and we've seen it through COVID. Like if you didn't have a nice visual environment where you could walk around your place, it was tough. So I think it's, are, there's a better understanding but it, it's early stage. So ideally a brand should contact us with a clear brief of what they're trying to tackle and I'm sending it to the world as my ideal, my wish will be that the brand is self-aware to think this is what we tackle and this is what we want to discuss this is what we put out there in the world Think Dove and Body Positivity, right? They, we want to be known as X. We want to try and push this as X values-wise. In reality, you know, this is through many, many conversations that will come through the PR agencies, advertising agencies, or directly the CMOs, all their audiences, and then this will be weaved as... This will be a great idea to do that, but I feel again it's 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 what you say is educating on the different values that the art can bring, whether it's integrated in the retail communication, anyways, and then people just being familiar and, and confident enough to commission it as part of their budgets as well, and to think of the results therefore will also be exciting. But our conversion rates are much higher than if you were to work with an influencer. The emotional attachment that the people will have with the brands are also way higher. And the way people comprehend the narrative is also way higher. And
1: what about the positives of social media? We've talked about the challenges with it, but it does also mean that on installations, you know, there can be small things at the side saying, you know, please tag. And how's that making an impact on artists' lives?
0: I'm always pro. Because
1: you, you, you have over 100,000 followers on Instagram, <laughs> right? Like you've certainly used it. Yeah.
0: I'm the biggest fan of social media. Like it's, I, I completely comprehend the negatives. I speak often about the the negative, but I like to think it's like people. The negatives are usually in minorities. Like it's the same with social media where I like to see the, the good side of things. And I have been, as an expert, I've been able to connect to so many incredible people through social media platforms. Like my Ghanaian artist, Derek, could never have even made a name or connected to people if it wasn't for those platforms, because you, you basically post your art, people start engaging with it, like it, and you can reach to professionals that could support your art. So it's massive. Like it breaks cultural barriers, it enables people to uh, find communities that will support them. I think it's a deeply, super uh, powerful tool and, and. The fact that we have 23 nationalities within our artists shows that actually you don't even think nationality because you're much more in that global community where people just post art and and communicate with one another. Secondly, I think, well, there's always two angles to that. It has that people more conscious about how visual their life should be. But obviously, as we know, it's also made plastic flowers appear everywhere in my neighborhood, which I'm unhappy about. So I feel... There is, there's a two-angle side of it has made the tougher Instagram picture, but also it has made people think, well, actually, like, you know, the, the, my visual storytelling and my exposure to my visual environment matters. Uh, so you, you have the, pro, the pros and the cons of this. And for sure, like, I feel, you know, if you think of the number of images you're now consuming every day, it's massive. Like, the... Our genera- like the next generation will be even more but it's crazy the number of images that you're consuming on a daily basis through that yeah
1: totally I mean it reminds me of starting the podcast and so on and after a few months I thought oh well why are we on Instagram because we're not really a visual brand actually like we're not really a visual product you yeah, know we we're a podcast but now we're doing more on audio and now we're doing much more with kind of creatives and it's like yeah we, a- we have now become a-, a much more visual brand so it is funny how these things change of it can you give us an example of some of your favorite pieces of work that you have worked on as a company.
0: No, this is always the impossible question. So what's um, your favorite child? <laughs> like, <laughs> I know exactly. We should never tell, never <laughs> tell, but like, I feel the, I feel it's, you know what, it, it, stupid and cheesy. It's a daily, like, so one of our artists Aziko, that we starting as Gary is now exhibiting at Gagosian, which is a number one Gary in the world. Um, this, this felt like your football player just going to the best club. Like they, it felt so exciting. Like it, we, that, that evening was just a huge celebration across the team and, and yeah, super meaningful. I feel winning the project that I mentioned of Raven de Clark recently for the sculptures, knowing that she will shape historically how slavery was perceived and help changing that narrative. It feels amazing. I think is the answer. Like it feels that like. She's nailing so many like she that project is meaningful on so many layers. I think you mentioned the Bonards. I love the Bonards. Um I mean the World Cup project, you know, we uh so okay. worth mentioning we are B Corp when I talk about the World the World Cup project, but it was nice to know that we were the we were never criticized on on working in that context. And you know the first coverage of the World Cup was challenging. I feel that was a good example that I feel is we had applied the B Corp standard. And again, if you think of audiences, that sculpture was seen by literally billions of people that we had done during the World Cup by Lorenzo Quina, our artists. And there was something again, that was like a dream to think the football is like literally has the largest audiences. And the fact that you could incorporate art, which has the smallest audiences ever, felt amazing again. So it's just, I could go on and on. I think it's, it's, Every time it's the impact, and every time it goes back to the audiences and and to the fact that we've been able to do it at scale, respecting values. But it, that also felt really special, and I think to do that,
1: talk to us a bit more about the Hyundai World Cup campaign and the sculptures, because it was a goals of the century campaign, and like you say, it really yep. took off, and we've got. Big interest in sport on this podcast as well in terms of the jobs that sport is also creating.
0: So Phil, feel Hyundai was one of the sponsors, as you said, of the World Cup alongside Visa. They wanted to convey the fact that the, the company is completely moving into sustainable investment. And and again, we had to be really careful because, as you know, we're not pro-greenwashing. We're a Cop, like I said. We had to make sure that what we were doing was every level of it was respecting the values and then with the workers on site as well so it was i think my the diet of my creative agency lost all his hair in fact you had to cut it it was so bad for the and i believe it was one of the most stressful project we ever worked on uh, by far but um so I mean, that was very rewarding but you can imagine that it was north korean uh, south korean so sorry south korean meeting qataris meeting europeans it was it was a really steep learning curve on how to do an art project at scale that would enable to bring everyone together to respect the correct value and to still have an impact so usually meaningful that it was successful but yes it was highlighting that it was uh, difficult
1: your advice when trying to bring cultures like that together because you're french working in britain they are two quite different yes. cultures despite being quite close as well <laughs> what are you talk yes. about
0: Especially in the current timing. Quite. quite,
1: (laughs) And you've got Qatar, South Korea, and you've also spent a lot of time in LA as well. I mean, you know, they are five very different cultures. How do you sort of bring all that together?
0: Well, I feel the business model is built on Britain speaking to the US, speaking to France. Like, so in a sense, you know, this is the reason why it worked. It worked because we, the entertainment world taught us about how to do that. The British was a structure. It's very much the way our business structure per se but a lot of the values are also the french like there's there's you know the the revolutionary aspect of why to change the sectors definitely coming from that side so um i see value in different cultures being brought together i have 12 different nationalities in my team and there's a small team to give you an idea i feel that art is a language that can bring people together it sounds a very cheesy statement again but enables for that universal language to bring different cultures in one place by definition learning a different language is entering in someone's head and understanding that someone can think differently to you so i feel you are perfectly positioned as an expat to understand that someone could see things differently i think i'm used to difficult conversation but i think i love them like i it's something like that I, i adore bringing people who think differently together around the projects of my artists and uh, touch wood so far, but it has always been successful. But, but I think it is using that understanding. But by the second you learn a different language, you learn that there's not a right and wrong way to look at something, and because there's not even words to express it in a different culture, so you have to adapt. and And I think art can bring people together after you've adapted.
1: That's a really interesting answer. And what do artists have to do to get on? your roster how does that work what are you looking for there
0: so we don't it doesn't work even if you're the cousin or the friend of so i'm afraid that is not an entry that can work in our system because we're so proud of wanting everyone to have the same access there's an email called artists plural at agency. you send your portfolio and your motivation letter and they're all reviewed that was what i felt was so tough for the sector is only who knows who but the problem is that access means that like only certain type of people will get in, right? So the application is all the same for everyone. We look to people who are innovative, who, you know, want to challenge a specific content and concept, but also we really look for, again, that Serena Williams personality. Um. So it's not corporate, it's that person who just really wants to hit that ball and and go under pressure and change things. And And has that bigger vision that's going to inspire loads of people. Maybe you've seen on our site, David Puckbad does this like, you know, crazy turn, like thousands of meters, uh, public art, biodegradable paintings on ice. So he walks on ice and paints on it. I work with basically crazy people in a great way, and I adore them because they're crazy, they're ambitious, they want to do things that are mad, and they do them and they get to the bottom of doing them. We just released this morning that. Our artist, Adam, is doing the, one of the longest mosaics in the country by London Bridge. That's completely mad again. So basically it's, we want to see that fair bit of madness, but ambition and grit and pragmatism, that's going to go with it. And if you have that, we're excited to back you. so you it's the Ambition
1: madness <laughs> with a little bit of pragmatism. I like it a lot. Um, exactly. Well tell them, when when's that mosaic opening? That sounds fascinating.
0: April 2024, but you can already start to see it. It's by the bottom of the shard. Secret London just covered it there this we weekend. Are. So we, and yeah, it will take up until next year to be finished, but there's quite a fair bit that's already done. So you can go uh, and see it. Like I said, it's completely mad. It'll be 57 meters, completely wow,
1: crazy. That is, um, that <laughs> is. And, and talk to us about <laughs> what the future of art looks like in sort of 20, 30 years time. I mean, we said in the intro, you know, your, young you're going to be at this game for quite a while what do you see being the big changes over the course of the 21st century in art
0: i think the gamekeepers you know you you see it in music where the gamekeepers Mm. are changing like you've seen it i'm sure you remember in the 80s 90s where suddenly the talents and musics were reshaping their contracts and were saying you know and then you up to now where taylor swift is saying I'm bigger than anyone and I can just release it straight away on the live stream platforms, right? That change is happening to to the sector. And that means I hope, uh, is a hope here that you become more artist centric with talents at the lead and with them being empowered to drive it forward. The second thing is, I mean, you have digital world, but you have then the metaverse um and and the fact that you can be immersed quite literally in a visual environment. So it's not quite 3D really player one by, by Spielberg but it, there is a level of it where you are never going to consume more visuals that my second hope for that is that people start being conscious of how important that is but also that they can participate you know in the same way that you elect people you can participate visually you say it you said your medium is not visual so you you were not feeling relevant to be part of the visual conversation my statement is always that we all part of the visual conversation, whether we want it or not, you're part of it. Um, the the art that goes on your street, you can take part in that. Um, who you endorse visually, you can take part in that. It's, it's a conversation we're shaping together. It's a language we all own. We need to quickly realize that all of us need to participate because if we don't contribute, we will have a certain types of language that's going to lead us, a certain type of vocabulary that's going to control us and not something too dark, I think it's. it needs to be, we need to be aware that this is a, it's a democratic language. And I think most people feel it's not their language, and, and they shouldn't take part in it.
1: I think that's true. And I want to follow up on that slightly in terms of the research that I did about you beforehand, talks about you kind of growing up in a socialist household and so on. And what are the yeah, <laughs> the really, yeah well, quite, you, you said it, not me. Really.
0: Actually, my sister, my my whole family was striking, so I am definitely. Uh, we have very heated debates right now in this <laughs> household. Um- I, can,
1: I can imagine having done a few French exchanges. <laughs> I remember what it was, what it was like. But w- w- why do you think art <laughs> is generally seen as kind of, you know, left wing? Yeah, you know, wh- why is there not sort of more right wing creativity when it comes to artwork?
0: Oh, actually uh, that's a brilliant question because so actually you, they it, it's a really good question because a lot of actually big music bands were you know created during Margaret Thatcher and and it's actually the Brits have the opposite relationship. they struggle with like a regime and then they go great art, you know so I feel this is actually this is in the in the core cool of this culture it's actually been the totally opposite of how art was created. I feel that it's seen as that left wing that, Culture is accessible because, rewinding back to the French, our schools are free. Um, if you go to private schooling, it means that actually you may be an autistic school. It's uh, the most people were just going to free state school, and therefore as part of this, you still go to theatres, operas, museum as part of your curriculum, and that's something that's constant. So your level of access is much higher. Germany will be similar, mm-hmm. I think, in that sense. that I think it will be in England. I think that's a big difference. Is actually the excess that is that is left wing, but it's it's. I don't think. I still think France is elitist in different ways. In the UK, is I would say that the the elitism in England is financial. It's just it's so expensive to get to a lot of things in our sector, but the elitism in France is intellectual, in a sense that like. There's a format to be an intellectual mm. in France, and if you follow that format, you're brilliant intellectual, and off you go. The problem is, as we know, brains come in all shapes. We only just the start started understanding what it means to be neurodiverse, right? It's so that means that most people will fall off what that means to be intellectual, and also let's face it, if your hands, I've got the li- right libraries, and I've trained you in a certain way, you're also much more likely to be getting into that kind of brains. So actually there's an elitism again in the perception of the arts and who gets to create it and who gets to access it through that elitism of the formatting that you will have at school.
1: Yeah, so I agree with a lot of that. I mean, I slightly challenge the point about it being expensive to access the arts in the UK because a lot of the museums and so on are free. But it, it is something, and you touch on it there at the end, that it it gets perceived as it and therefore it kind of ends up creating its own sort of flywheel and you're right it's not just art right it's it's music as well I mean the amount of right-wing musicians there are you across the world you can pretty much count on one hand I think like and it's just something that I find intriguing and I just wonder if it will be something.
0: Yeah, I think the the expensive comment is to do the fact that art school at ten thousand pounds okay. so a year. It's basically to to even do multiple unpaid art sh- uh, internships to get into the sector is not possible for a lot of people. It's, it's more the the expense of working in it or being an artist in it that I found expensive. What's interesting with the exhibit with the museums is that we've seen that there's a psychology psychological barrier people so think art is not for them that even if the museum are set free when you look at who gets into the museum it's still your middle class upper middle class upper class because it's still that that psychology of it's not for me because it was made as a hobby of classes that are superior and that's all still structured with the fact that you know there's the the private schooling will still have a lot more than, than, of the arts than the state schooling so they're still an expensive yeah it's, I agree that museums have said free and that's fantastic. But then if you built up so much in um, in the psyche of people that it's not for them, then basically at the end of the day, they're not going to then take their kids to do it, right? It, they, they've worn figures And that's them. fair.
1: And I think it's, it, look, it's one of the interesting things we've explored on the show. It, it's actually how drones are being used by a company called New Substance in Leeds to kind of create sort of um, amazing kind of modern day art. And, and none of that's kind of Left or right wing, particularly, and so I do think the the point about tuition for the art schools being high is is interesting. Do you do you find it a clash? I suppose in terms of that you are trying to build a very capitalist company and, and doing it in what is seen as traditionally a left wing sector. Have you had any rub up against that particularly?
0: Yes. I mean, on the on the art school fees, one thing that would relate to your show is I will have an accelerator of artists, mm. um, because then you get paid. To actually, as part of a yearly program and get exposed to people with influence in the sector. And then you solve this. I can't take on the idea because we're pretty busy, but someone can take it. And I feel that that would solve it because saying to me, even middle class parents, you get paid 30k for art school plus all the living costs. And they want that your kid won't make a penny for years. Uh, really is quite difficult to swallow. So like, it's just, I think that is, it is an economical, um, uh, question with it. So I would say um, that will be your dire solution. I come up with this every day because we are looking at something very differently. We are turning the thing around in its head. As the sector is traditionally exclusive, we're saying we want it to be inclusive. We're using a different vocabulary. We are looking at things differently. I feel like I had to let like, go of the idea of being liked at the start of building this company, but also just again back to languages to understand that we are building a different language. By definition, this will provoke and create some frictions, and but I think those frictions are also uh, a great way to learn. I think as always, like this is what made us strong because we had to respond to every single one of them, and also that that discourse is interesting i think that back and forth is is also sometimes we're wrong like sometimes you have to re agile and readapt uh, to your sector because uh, i'll keep right our artists make it so that's one and then the second is the business grows so if we're wrong we have to take a step back and just readapt to making that conversation more right so i'm okay about that back and forth but i i am getting a lot of back and forth and um and i feel you know Without bringing that card, but uh, you know, you mentioned that I just highlighted the baby. But I do think many ba- many babies are all investment conversations, like three weeks in. Like I will get people to judge how I do things by d- by the minute I, I exist because I've decided to go in the way that I do things in a very different different way than most people do. But I'm okay with that, and I think my team is okay with that. And and the reward and the impact that we're generating is high enough so that we can forget about this.
1: Totally. And no one will be left in any doubts about that. It's all because just one sort of, before we touch on the content and questions and books at the end, just give us an example of a couple more of the job titles that you're hiring for in terms of changing that vocabulary. Because I think you're right, particularly in terms of explaining to parents, you know, I want to go study at art school, you know, immediately we'll just think no career, no money, a mountain of debt, and immediately get a lot of resistance from their parents. Understandably so. But listening to this conversation will hopefully have inspired quite a few people about how they can potentially make money through art and go about it but just talk to us through that vocab what are the other titles you talked about visual narrators earlier what are the other types of title you're hiring for
0: yeah so i think the idea is to look at it as a visual sector so in the visual sector you have the digital side so you could be at the head which is what we're hiring of video games and art collaboration because actually the largest audiences nowadays are in video games right they they're not even in football anymore, uh, they are in video games. Then you could be also at the head of integrating art within immersive experiences that are fully digital, uh, which we see more and more. You could be on the brand collaboration side, there are many different angles. They are uh, you uh, leading the relationship between the PR agencies and the artists or the advertising agencies and the artists, or being part of the creative direction, making sure your talent is not being creatively directed and the, 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 the creativity is protected. Um, or actually, you could have certain law and look at every time uh, my photographers get the image used without their rights having to email someone, being like, sorry, you can't do that, which um, is happens a lot of times, as you can imagine. Uh, so, there's a lot of IPs laws, there's a lot of reviewing the contracts because all those contracts are brand new. So, making sure those contracts are legit um, as well and protect the talents in the long term. A lot of the consequences we don't know yet because a lot of those contracts, again, are quite brand new in terms of collaboration. So, foreseeing a lot of those consequences too. Um, then they are, you know, I have a C suite. So, CEO, chief strategist, they are operational roles. There's management, artistic agents. So, you see, there's many different types of roles and obviously the more junior side of things. But I feel this is what the, what's exciting, hopefully, is that you could have trained in so many different sectors and be adding value in our context specifically because a lot of the time we're integrating the art outside of the sector so actually understanding that sector is pretty key and then there's culturally like you know with we're developing our office in Doha we are clueless about the culture there so we need the people there to teach us you know what does what art means in this culture uh, what's that what's the best integration of, of those art projects and and comprehend in different cultures as well. Because like you said, you can't do, you can't embrace a public art project uh, as a format. You have to make sure you comprehend where you are creating it in.
1: Totally. Totally. And we should chat about what help government can do for some of those things in terms of, because you are a modern day exporter, right? Like That's one of the most amazing things about it. And finally, what, well, two questions I wanted to finish with three he says adding more and more as he thinks about it um <laughs> what's the what's the best book you've read lately
0: lately i'm glad you've added lately because i read quite a bit so <laughs> like i'm sorry this is a big one some uh, one that i recommended to you which is visual thinker i cannot yeah. put two because that's the two i gave you um so we eliminate the french one i must clarify that i'm not someone that should say they read but i generally read a book every uh, week and a half. My team is so tired because every time they ask me a question, I'm like, oh, I have a great <laughs> book on this topic. And this drives my CEO completely mad to the point that now he's doing a fast reading course because he's had enough of those conversations. So I even have a book on how to give feedback to people, which is brilliant. Um, so, uh, so that that exhausts my team is the answer. So I'm glad you've asked me the question. The two ones specifically on our topic is Visual Thinker by Penguin. Because that teaches you the fact that most of us are visual thinkers on the spectrum and and how to leverage your skill set. They've suddenly, a lot of them, be, been uh, pushed aside by this cooling system. So this is how to re-engage with them, incorporate in them, but also trust in them. Like you you don't trust them as much and yet actually they're very valid. We tend to over-trust, you know, the ones with, numbers and the understanding of it, which obviously is really important, but actually we tend to really downgrade uh, the rest of the skill sets. I think that's a book that empowers you to use them better. Your Brain on Art is the latest, I literally just came out a couple of weeks ago, I just finished it this weekend, and I would say that's neuroscience of art. One of the things that's most fascinating, I think, is we don't understand the brain yet. Like We actually understand so little of it. and one thing that we know for certain with AI on the rise is that creativity is really the thing that AI can't do. And so neuroscience and art touches on really all the different ways in which your brain interacts with it, but also your mental health. It's a, bit of, it's a nice follow-up to the book, Body Keeps the Score, which has been widely discussed this year as how you integrate your body and your brain better. But that's specifically looking at how you use art to do that. It's also something that I think for mental health purposes is really handy. Like it, it connects you with all the all the reasons why actually this helps, even at a small level of it.
1: You're right. That was a few recommendations there. <laughs> <laughs> and what's what's the best <laughs> piece of visual content that you've watched lately? This is almost even more pressured, I think.
0: I mean this is tough. What is the best piece? You know what? The the man's on Spielberg uh childhood. I, I cried loads because, well, clearly I cry on every video that I watched. But it's also, um, I am uh, married to someone that is the deep, rational tech VC. And that family was born out of a scientist and an artist. And it's just so nice to see that childhood and that contrast and that camaraderie between the two worlds of it. But I loved it and, and I felt it's so nice to have we rarely explain how someone came up with their imagination. And I think that movie explains how he got his imagination.
1: From one of the world's most creative people that's existed in the 20th century as well. And final question, pass the mic to another entrepreneur that may have not had as much exposure yet that we should get on the show at some stage
0: soon. Oh my God, there's there's so many as well. Um, that's really difficult too. Did you have Anne-Marie Maffadon no. on the show? Okay, that's good because she also published a great book because she sets up a great company called the CMATS, how to get girls to understand the language of tech better. That's also with Penguin, but she's got also a company that specifically looks at why women need to learn the language of tech and the fact that, again, language of finance, tech, or art, if we feel alienated by them, they will control us. If we feel empowered by them, you know, we will lead with it. But I think she's a great one. She's also one of those ridiculously smart person. Um that is always what she Well,
1: we'll we'll extend an invite to her shortly. And your book is out in January twenty twenty four as well, right? And what's that correct? Going to be on?
0: Well, so we you watch a tech talk on visual diet. The problem is Amazon bans diet books. So actually, the I can give you the whole topic. I can't give you the title yet because we're arguing over it. Because Amazon doesn't give us that right to use the word diet, so that's an unfortunate turn of things. But it will be really about how visuals impacts you. So thinking again, I just talk about Marie Mathaden, but it's how do you feel empowered by the language of text? I want to empower you with the visual, the language of visuals, and so that you can feel more comfortable to contribute to it, to analyze it, to discuss with it that is that's the whole point of the book but it's with penguin they were my favorites so i'm delighted that they chose me um and i can't wait it's a five years pregnancy my longest pregnancy to date it was very long and painful very painful
1: that is a great way to summarize it (laughs) Marie. thank you so much for coming on jimmy's jobs the future it's been a real pleasure we'll put all the links in the show notes to where people can follow you and engage with your work because um Yeah, it really does improve your visual diet, even if Amazon won't let us say it.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Thanks for listening to Jimmy's Jobs of the Future. We've come a long way since our first episode, when I started recording this on my own in my daughter's nap times. We are now a team that not only pulls together a podcast, but also creates content on multiple channels. Whether that is our Substack, looking at the latest trends in business, entrepreneurship and the future of work or some of our more lighthearted takes on tiktok and of course our best moments are on youtube to find all our socials and best content links click on the links in the show notes below